Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness be not seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, help us today. We need your Holy Spirit. God, we need your power. We need your illumination to enable us to understand. God, we need you to give us a heart that is plowed up and cultivated and soft. That the Word of God would sink into it deeply. And that it would sprout and that it would bear fruit for eternal life. God, keep us from sin. Keep us from a false view of ourselves. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There have been great improvements to backpacking in the last 20 years, or at least as far as my backpacking in the last 20 years. The last trip that Em and I took, we uh, borrowed a filter from uh, Randall, and uh, you basically go, you take your, you take the lid off of it, it's like a water bottle, you put it in a cold stream, uh, a nice mountain lake, fill that dude up, put the top on, you hit the button and an ultralight, uh, comes on, you rotate the bottle for, I think it's 60 seconds. You don't even have to count 60. It's got a timer on it and it beeps and you got water that will not kill you. You know, you no parasites. It kills all the bad little bugs and all that nasty stuff. Um, when we go on our journey quest, we, we don't have quite as nice as stuff, but we do have the iodine drops. So you get same, get your water out of that cold mountain stream and you, you, depending on how big your bottle is, you put so many drops of that stuff in, then you rotate it, get it all in there, kills all the nasty stuff, and then you've got clean water that you can drink in about, I think it's about four, five, ten minutes, something like that. When I first started backpacking, we took a tin can with us. So we take like a coffee can is what most of us had, and we would hook it on the back of our backpack. We'd hike all day, drink our water that we had that was clean, and then by the time we got to our campsite, we're out of water. We're really thirsty. It's hot. We go to the mountain stream. We get that nice, cool water. But then we have to start a fire, put our coffee can on the fire. Have you, do you know how long it takes to boil water on a fire in the wilderness? Okay. And so it's a long time. You're boiling that water while you're boiling it. All the nasty stuff is getting in it, ash and smoke and, and all that. Finally, you get it to boil in. It boils long enough to kill all the bad stuff. You get it off. Now, you can't just drink it. You're really thirsty, but, I mean, you can't drink it. It's boiling, okay? So you let it sit for a while until it's, you know, lukewarm is when you can stand it. And so you 
take it, pour it in your jug, and you take a drink of that lukewarm, ashy, smoky, nasty water, and it makes you want to puke. For real. I mean, that's the worst thing about backpacking in those days. I mean, it just made you want to puke. Jesus tells the church at Laodicea, you make me want to puke. That's what he says, essentially. You make me want to puke. Your Christianity, your, your brand of living for me makes me want to spit you out of my mouth is what Jesus likens it to. In each one of these churches, Jesus starts the letter by revealing part of himself. You know what? If, if you haven't gotten anything out of any of these seven churches, if you get that one thing, that would really make me happy. The one thing, the, the one big truth that every time Jesus addresses one of these churches, no matter what their issue is, no matter if it's sexual morality or tolerance of evil or false doctrine or you lost your first love, no matter what the issue is, even if it's an open door, Jesus reveals himself. That's what he says. I am the one who writes to you and this is who I am. And he reveals a little different aspect of his character to each church. And the big lesson there is, no matter what you came in here with today, no matter what you're carrying, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what's on your plate, you need to see him. You need to see his glory. You need to see him in his majesty. You need to see him in his greatness. You need to see the character and the person and the work of Jesus. That's what fixes you, okay? So in each one of these, Jesus reveals himself. What does he say about himself to Laodicea? Verse 15. Uh, No, verse 14, I'm sorry. He says, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Okay, a couple things there we're going to focus on. Number one, Jesus says, I'm the amen. That's kind of cool. Okay, he is the amen. Now, you know what an amen is, right? When someone says something you agree with, someone says something, you're like, that is truth. I'm all in on that. Yes to that. What do you say? You say amen. Amen. Yes to that. I agree. That is truth. That's what the word amen means. And so Jesus says here that he is the amen. Now, let me give you a little more, um, something that will help you understand that. 2 Corinthians 1.20, here's what Paul says about Jesus. For he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. Isn't that cool? All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him, through Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Okay? Now think about what Paul is saying. He is saying Jesus is God's yes to all of the promises. Jesus is God's amen to all that God has promised. So God has promised eternal life. Jesus is the amen to that. Jesus is the yes to that. Through Jesus, we have a yes to God's promise. We have the fulfillment, the, 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 the carrying out, the, the, the affirmative of Jesus, of God's promises to us. Okay? So the first thing it says is Jesus is the amen. He's the truth. He's the yes. He's the I agree. Okay? And then it says he's the faithful and the true witness. Now, this is all going to come into play here in just a minute, okay? Because here's what's going to happen. Laodicea, the church, is going to come and they're going to take their seat on the witness stand. And they're going to tell about their spiritual life. They're going to answer the question, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing spiritually? And the, and the church of Laodicea, is going to, they're going to take the stand and they're going to give testimony, this is how we're doing. Then they're going to get up and sit down and Jesus is going to take the stand. And he's going to answer the same question. How's Laodicea doing? They're going to have really different answers, okay? And Jesus wants us to know right away, I am the faithful and true witness, okay? No matter what anybody else says, no matter what you say about yourself, no matter what anybody else says about you, no matter what the world says about you, all that is needless chatter after the amen speaks. He got the last word, okay? He is the faithful and true 
witness. So, in verse 15, Jesus does this with several of the churches. He says, I know your works. Now, if we go back, okay, let's say Ephesians, uh, not Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, okay. If we go back to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, 2, Jesus tells them, I know your works. And then you know what he does? He lists their works, okay. Your toil, your patient endurance, how you can't bear with those who, who are evil, how you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. So he lists all of all the, the works of this church. Now, they're not a perfect church. Remember, they, they had lost their first love. They were declining. They were doing less than they, than they were before. They were loving less than they were before. But Jesus says, hey, I, I know your works. And then he lists their works, okay? To the church at Thyatira. Chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus says, I know your works. And then what's he do? He lists them. I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance. I love this, that your latter works exceed the first. Okay, These guys were growing. They, they were loving Jesus and others more today than they were 10 years ago. The, 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 the works of the present were exceeding the works of the past. So, so Jesus is able to commend these churches even though they have some things going on. But to the church at Laodicea, Jesus says in verse 15, I know your works. And then notice, there are none listed. Okay? There aren't any listed. The only thing Jesus says is, I know your work of being lukewarm. That, that, that's the thing I'm looking at. I know your works and, and what you are is you're lukewarm. Laodicea had no good water source. And so they, they had to get their water from other places. There, there's, there's three towns right close together here. So you got Laodicea, and then you got six miles this way, you've got Aeropolis, okay? Aeropolis was the hot springs, Arkansas, of Turkey, okay? It had hot springs. Uh, if any of you have been to hot springs, Arkansas, or you've been to Pagosa Springs, you know that what do people do when there's hot springs? They build baths, right? And everybody comes in to, you know, get medicinal purposes, so... You sit in hot water, you're supposed to heal you. I get, you know, for thousands of years, people did that. Anyway, they thought that this happened. So, you know, there were all these baths in Aeropolis. And then the Romans built an aqueduct from Aeropolis to Laodicea to pipe in the hot water. Okay. Now, the other way, 11 miles on the other side, is Colossae. Now, Colossae didn't have any hot springs. It's got a mountain spring. It's got a cool spring. Okay. So you got cool water in Colossae. You got hot water in Aeropolis. You got no water in Laodicea. Okay. Now, that's not true because you actually had water piped in. But when you start at 95 degrees, six miles away, and gravity takes it all the way, guess what you got by the time you get to Laodicea? You got lukewarm water, right? Lukewarm mineral water, hot springs water, pukey water. Jesus says you're lukewarm. You're indifferent. You're not going anywhere. You've got no works. Essentially, what he's saying is your works are useless. Right? I mean, I like a cold beverage. I like lots of ice in my pop or whatever. Many of you like hot coffee. I'm not a big fan, you know. There's probably a few of you, just because you're a little weird, you want lukewarm coffee. You know, you go into McDonald's, and you're like, I'd, I'd like a cup of coffee. Please set it out. I'll get it in an hour, you know. Most of us, that's not appealing. Jesus is essentially saying, I wish you were cold or hot, but you're, the way you are, you're, you're no good for anything. Why was that? Verse 17. You ready? They've just taken the stand. What are they going to say about themselves? 
How's your spiritual life? Here's what they say. Verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Now, if you just take that at service value, okay? We just, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Okay, now you might be saying, wow, these guys are doing great, right? I mean, I mean, things are great in Laodicea. It's booming. It's a boom town. They, they don't have an oil bus there. They've got a boom, okay? It's a banking center. They've got a, a place where you can get ISAB that's known all around the world. I mean, this is, it's at the crossroads of two major highways. I mean, this is a boom town. People build nice houses in Laodicea. People have good incomes. Their church was probably the nicest in Turkey. It was probably the most, most lavish. They probably had the nicest seats and the nicest pews and the chandelier in the, in, in the entrance way i mean they they had lots of good stuff okay and they were comfortable and they were healthy and they didn't have the poverty issues that smyrna or the persecution issues that smyrna and everybody else had and so they're they're saying hey man we're great we don't need anything but jesus says that's exactly the problem you don't need anything what does it mean when a christian tells jesus i don't need anything I need nothing. I mean, look, look at what it says there. For you say I'm rich, I've prospered. I've, I've got them underlined in my Bible. Three words there. I need nothing. Now, it's really doubtful that that's what they said, you know, like verbally. Like, hi, I'm Jason. I'm rich, I prosper, and I don't need anything, you know. I mean, they probably didn't say that. But Jesus knows their heart, right? He knows their heart. He knows what they're saying in their heart, what they're saying in their mind, what they, what they think about him. And here's what they're saying. I, I don't need anything, okay? So Jesus Christ has stepped out of the heavens and into human flesh and took upon himself all manner of trial and struggle and difficulty in order to bring about the riches of God to Laodicea to these Christians. And they're basically saying, hey, we're good. We, we don't need it. Jesus was scourged 39 times. He allowed cruel men to take the flesh and muscle off his back that you might be healed of your sin. But the folks that lay at the sea think they're fine. Jesus Christ hung on a cross bearing your shameful acts, your transgressions, your rebellion against God in order that you might enjoy life with God, fellowship with God. But lay at the sea is too busy. They're preoccupied. They don't need anything. There's no zeal to experience more God. There's no passion to put to death their sin. There's no hunger for God in Laodicea. There's no push to get the gospel out to their neighbors. They're not on their knees seeking God. Verse 17 says, I need nothing. Folks, that is the opposite of the kind of heart that you should have as a believer. Okay? Now you're saying, well, pastor, is there something wrong with contentment? No, contentment's great as long as it's contentment in the right way. Okay? So Paul in Philippians 4, okay, here's what he says. Philippians 4, 11, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, pause right there. What is Paul talking about? He's not talking about God. He's talking about money. The context of that is, verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. They sent him a monetary gift. Okay, so so Paul is saying there, look, I, I, I don't need more money. I know if it comes, that's awesome. If it doesn't, that's fine, too. But I am content. I'm content with my material possessions. I'm content with my my health. I am content. What's the next verse? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, Laodicea was saying the opposite. 
They were saying, hey, we've got money, we've got health, we've got comfort, and that's what makes us okay. That's why we don't need you, God, is we've got all those other things. Spiritually, folks, here's the rule of the Bible. You should always want more. Did you come here wanting more? Did you come in today saying, I want more of God? Did you come in today saying, I want more of God? Or did you come in today saying, you know what, I'm pretty fine as I am. But, you know, hey, church is the right thing to do. We'll go. You know, we'll, we'll get this done. What, long weekend coming up. Excited about that. Or did you come desperate? Did you come saying, God, I need you in me. I need you to work. I need you to help me. I need you to, to put away my sin. I need you to give me power over it. God, I need you. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the blessed life, is is the people that are hungering for God. In Philippians chapter 4, here's what Paul says. Now, now, I'm sorry, chapter 3. Paul says this at the end of his life. He's already planted churches all over the known world. He's already uh, uh, been ushered up into the the third heaven where he saw the the glories of God. And yet Paul says this, he says, I want to know him. The power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul says in verse 12, I'm not already there. I've not already obtained this. I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He says in verse 13, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Paul was saying, Saying, I want more. I want more of Jesus. I want more of what He has. I am not content. I need Him. In the Christian life, it is a fight for dependence, not independence. Have you ever read through your Psalms? And have you noticed how often phrases like this come about? Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 40, verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help, my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. What what are they saying? They're saying, God, I am hungry for you. God, I'm thirsty for you. God, I'm waiting on you. How many times do you hear that in your Old Testament? God, I wait upon you. What does that mean? God is late? You know, we're ready and God's, God's late. And we're trying to, you know, we, we got we to wait for him. I mean, we, we all, that happens to me all the time with my family. Man, I got them all in the kitchen. I'm like, all right, we're all ready to go. Yeah, we're ready, Dad. Let's go. And we go. There's nobody following me. I get in the car. There's one person in the car. It's me. We were all right there, 10 feet from the garage. Somehow, we were all ready, and now I'm in the car. I even back halfway out of the garage. This is my practice. I back halfway out of the garage so they don't have to walk around the van. They can just walk straight, you know, and get in the passenger side. I mean, I do everything to to make that easy because I'm always waiting on them. Is that what we're talking about? God is late. No. Waiting on God means... I'm not going there for what I need. I'm not going to money. I'm not going to the world. I'm not going to, God, I'm going to you. I, I, am, I am in a posture of saying, God, I need what you have. I need you. You're what's going to make me okay. When we don't live that way, when we don't live in dependence upon him, we rob God of his glory. Well, what's, what's the true reality? Do we need him? Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, That he sustains the world. All things are made through him, by him. And he holds all things together. Holds all things together. Acts 17.25 tells us that uh, that it's by God 
that we have life and breath and everything. I mean, the reality is, yeah, the breath you just sucked in, God said you could have it. And the day he says you don't have it is the day you die. And we're totally dependent upon him. But there's times we don't act like it. There's, there's times that we don't, we don't act like that we need him. Now, now, how do we... What is the greatest indicator of whether you are dependent upon God? In my estimation, it is your prayer life. Okay? Now, we could, we could do it this way. We could get everybody up here. We could each take the stand. You know, all right, you're a Christian, right? Oh, yes, I am. Okay, you're joined to Jesus by faith. Yes, I am. Okay, do you need God? And we could all testify. Yep, yeah, oh, I need him. You know, I sing that song every day. I need you. Oh, I need you. Know, I need him. Okay, all right, thank you. The next person. We could do that, but I think that's not very helpful. You know what is helpful? What would your prayer life look like last week? What did it look like? Because isn't that the indication of how much I needed him? Did I have it in my mind that I can, I can manage today whether I go to him or not? I don't need to cry out about my sin. I got it covered. I don't need to cry out to him to help me be a good dad. I can do it. I know. I got skills. I don't need to cry out to be a godly husband. No, I got this deal figured out. <laughs> Is that what we did? Whatever you said, it doesn't matter what you said. What time did you spend on your knees? That is the indicator of whether you said, I need you. I am desperate for you. Have you ever noticed that um, the examples that God gives us for prayer? One of the major ones in the New Testament is Luke 18, the, the widow and the unjust judge. Isn't that a great story? I mean, here's the story. Basically, there's a wicked, unjust king, okay, ruler, judge, all right? And there's a widow who is desperate. She's been treated wrongly. She's been robbed. She, she, she has nowhere to go but this guy. And so she comes relentlessly. Please help me. Please, please hear my case. Please intervene for me. He could care less for her. He's a wicked guy. He cares for nobody. He's bothered. He just ignores her. She relentlessly comes. That's the point of the parable. She relentlessly comes. She will not give up. She is there in the morning. She is there at noon. She is there. When he goes to the bathroom, she's in the other stall saying, I need help. Please. He can't get away from her. Until finally he's like, man, I'm going to help you just because you're wearing me down. And then God comes back and says, all right, am I like that wicked judge? No, not at all. I love you. I am good to you. We're going to see just in a minute. This incredible picture of Jesus standing at the door, knocking. That's who he is. And so Jesus is like, if that widow came relentlessly to that wicked guy, why won't you come relentlessly to me? And the answer is this. The answer to why we don't. I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. That's the answer, unfortunately. Jesus has a different view of Laodicea. So he takes a stand in verse 17. He says, you say this about yourself. You say you're rich, you prospered, you need nothing. But he says, here's what I say. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Okay? 
Jesus has a very different view of their spiritual life. Notice the word pitiable, okay? You know what pitiable is? That's when your case is so bad that when people see you, they're like, oh, 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 I, I'm, I'm so sorry for that person. Jesus, that, when, when, when I look at you spiritually, man, you are pitiful. You're blind. No, notice how far off they are. How long that, I mean, Jesus says, you're, you're, you're naked, you're wretched, you're blind, you're pitiable, you're miserable. They say, man, we got it all together. How could they be that far apart? I wonder if sometimes we're using the wrong scale. So how do you answer the question, how are you doing spiritually? I asked some of you that this week. I'm looking at out here. I asked some of you, how, how are you doing this week? How are you doing spiritually? Some of you asked me that. How do you answer that? Lots of ways, right? You could compare this week with last week, today with last year, right? That's a way. And, and in some ways, that's helpful. Like Thyatira, we want to be going the right direction in our, in our spiritual life, right? And so in some ways, that's helpful. But, but in other ways, it's not, right? Like what about the guy that says, well, you know, last year, I went into an angry rage and killed five people. This year, I've gone into some angry rage, but I only killed one. I am really doing great spiritually, like, I, that's progress, right? Five to one, man, I am really cooking. Next year, I might just get angry and maim people. I won't kill anybody. I'm going in the right direction, okay? Maybe that's not always so helpful. Some of you are like, well, I compare myself to others, you know? I look around, and man, I'm going to church more than they are, and I'm reading my Bible more, and in Sunday school, I talk more, and I'm hosting a small group. I have more service opportunities than they do, so I'm comparing myself to others. Well, that, that, in some ways, that's helpful. Philippians 3.17, Paul says, hey, look at us, imitate us, look at those who are walking in this way. They're a good model for you. There's, there's some help in that, but you know what we often do? What do we do? We pick people that we look good by, Right? This week, all of you saw the bikers in Waco, and you're like, yeah, I'm better than them guys, right? Didn't you? You're like, man, i tell you what. Why does all that stuff happen in Waco? Have you ever asked yourself that question, Branch Davidians, bikers? Maybe it's not really pronounced Waco, huh? Have you ever thought about that? If you think about moving to Texas, consider that. That's free for the sermon. It doesn't have anything to do with Laodicea. Maybe you count the number of religious services you've attended. You do that? How are you doing spiritually? And immediately you look, and you think, okay, had my quiet time on Monday. Tuesday, I didn't have my quiet time, but I, 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 did, I did listen to Christian radio. Wednesday, I went to Man Up. Man, that's got to be lots of points. So, yeah, I'm doing good. Is that, is that helpful? How are you doing spiritually? Here's the mirror. That's what James 1 says. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. And then he compares the word of God to a mirror. When we look into this, we see ourselves. How am I doing? The Laodiceans are self-reliant. And the Bible says you cannot be self-reliant as a believer. And here's why. You can't do anything on your own. John, John 15. John 15, 5 says this. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do how much? Yeah, but you got skills, right? I mean, you're good with people. You, you know the Bible well. You know, you're a charismatic person. You can, you can influence folks. But what does Jesus say? Apart from me, apart from my power in you, apart from my spirit working in you, you can't do anything. Nothing of real value. No sin is going to be rooted out of your life by your charisma. Okay? 
No, no kid is going to be influenced for Christ by your people skills. I'm not saying God can't use that stuff. But spiritual things come from the Holy Spirit. That's why we got to be dependent upon Him. We got to fight hard to be dependent. Don't say, I need nothing. Say, I am needy. I need you. We got to get out of bed saying, God, I need you. We got to walk in to talk to our spouse saying, God, I need you. Right here. I need you. I'm dependent. I'm listening. I need you. Work in me. Give me power. God, I'm following you. I'm dependent upon you. So what's Jesus tell these guys to do? Well, first of all, they need to recognize their situation is horrible. Okay? And when they do, what he tells them to do, they need to do it zealously. Okay? We'll, get, we'll get back to that in a minute, but I, I want you to think about that right now. Because he says in verse 19, those are my love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Okay? Now, now, the reason that's important is, is because you need to see who you are, and then you need to immediately, zealously fix that. I mean, why would we not do that? What, what does Jesus say about them? Not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I know he's, he's using metaphors there, but, but they're real, right? I mean, I mean, he wants us to have that picture. That's who I am spiritually. Okay, now, now what, if, what if that dream you've had before, you know, where, where you, you went somewhere and you realized you didn't have your pants on? I mean, what if that came true? What if you look down right now? You know, it's the first time you've looked down. You're sitting there, and you look down at your Bible, and you're like, I do not have pants on, you know? <laughs> I thought people were looking funny when I came in. I thought that there was giggling. I just thought it was somebody else. And you realize you don't have any pants on right now. Let me ask you a question. How high of a priority would it be to get that covered up? Huh? I suspect that none of you would be like, you know what, I've gone this far. We might as well go to lunch, you know? Hey, no, no. You know what you would do? You would grab your kids and you'd put them on your lap, wouldn't you? You know, you'd, you'd pull your husband over next to you. You'd get your purse and you'd, you'd pull out all the stuff, you know. You'd get the hymnals and you'd, you'd do a bulletin and you, you'd cover yourself up immediately. Zealously. It's interesting. He says zealously. What do we zealously do? Well, look at verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and, and the shame of your nakedness may, be, may not be seen and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus says, come to me, okay? Essentially, that's what he's saying. Come to me. I can fix you. I am what you need. Ask yourself, what do you need? Would you walk in here today thinking you need it? More money? I mean, that, that, that's a reality probably in some of our lives, right? We got bills. I don't know how I'm going to pay them, right? You came in today saying, I need more money. Some of you came in with relationship trauma, and you're like, man, what I need is God you to fix this person. You know, some of you came in thinking, man, what I need is health. I've got cancer. I've got heart disease. I've got pain, right? Jesus says, come to me. Buy from me. I, I got riches that you need. Not the riches of the world. But I've got, I got what you need. I got what is going to satisfy your soul. 
In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 2, he says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without price, without, without money. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Jesus says, come to me. He says, come to me and I'll clothe you. I, I love that picture in verse 18. He says, come to me and get white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. There's a theme throughout the Bible that says, put on Christ. Put him on. You know what? You can go to the mall and you can buy clothes to present yourself in a certain way. You know, you can buy clothes to present yourself as 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 beautiful or strong or important or cool or whatever. Jesus, that's not going to cover your problem. You know what? A bitter spirit in an Armani suit is still an ugly person. Right? Insecurity in designer jeans with all that fancy stuff on it. Still a difficult person to be around. Anger and rage draped in a North Face jacket. That's still a miserable person. Jealousy and covetousness. Wearing Jimmy Choo's still makes a horrible friend. I don't know what Jimmy Choo's are. I just asked my wife, what's really nice shoes? And she told me. So I don't think she has any. That may have been a hint. I don't know. What about when you're clothed with Christ? Come to him. What's he going to clothe you with? Peace? Hey, do you know anybody that's clothed in peace? Do you know anybody that's clothed with the joy of the Lord, with a gracious spirit, with generosity, with gentleness? Man, that's attractive, isn't it? Put on Christ. Verse 18, get eyes sad from Jesus so you can see. You don't see right. That's what he's saying. You don't see clearly. Come to me so that you can see. You're not looking at your life right. You're not looking at your marriage right. You're not looking at your kids right. You're not looking at your money. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't see. Come to me so you can see. And do so zealously. Verse 19. Not lukewarmly, zealously. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. And eat with him and he with me. Probably you've heard that preached many times evangelistically. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You know, you've probably heard preachers preach that. At, hey, Jesus is knocking on your door. You know, he's knocking on your heart. You need to put your faith in him. Open up. Invite him into your heart. Nothing wrong with using it that way. But in the context, do you, do you see what he's saying? He's saying, church, you think you don't need anything? You need me. You need to be with me. You need to fellowship with me. Do you see the glory of Jesus? That he is knocking. You should be coming after him. Shouldn't you? He's got everything you need. He can fix you. And you ought to be knocking. But you're not. He is. Jesus is awesome. He's awesome that he continues to knock. Man, I, I've had this experience as a pastor. I show up. I can see through the window. They don't know that I can see. They're like, oh. Yeah. Don't answer. Man. That 
the reality that a born-again believer who Jesus has already shoveled all these riches into their life, and yet you don't have time for him, you're going everywhere else to get what you, what you think you need, and yet he continues to knock, to want to be with you, to want to meet your needs. Man, he's good. He's good. Don't, don't ignore him. You need him. Whether you know it or not, you need him. Father, help us to know our desperate condition without you. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts to dependence, to relentlessly come to you for everything we need. God, we need you. Every day we need you. Draw us to yourself, Lord, in Jesus' name.